Hey folks, Brian here with a quick note before this week's episode. We record a few weeks in advance usually, and so that sometimes precludes us from being able to cover breaking news. And usually if it's a, you know, a writer going exclusive or a new book or something like that, we're okay with the news being less than um, topical when we talk about it. But something happened this week that we felt we couldn't wait to speak about, and that is the passing of Robson Roca. Many of you know the 41-year-old artist passed away due to complications due to COVID-19. And uh, it's truly heartbreaking for everyone involved. Roca had, uh, to quote Vince, a glow up recently doing some amazing work. His Aquaman stuff, as well as his Future State Justice League, were both some of the best work of his career. And we are looking forward to many, many, many more years of Roca's artwork gracing our comics. And so to his friends, his family, his fans, especially his family, we just want to offer our condolences and... Um, just say how truly sorry we are to hear about this. We had put out on Twitter that we were going to make a donation to COVID-19 research based on Robson's diagnosis. Initially, his family and friends had asked for some help. Unfortunately, we were not able to do that research, I mean, to, sorry, to do that donation before his passing. And so we will be making a donation this week to a, a charity, either for uh, COVID-19 research, or we're going to do some research and see if there is something that Roka's family is is in need of, whether there's a GoFundMe or something like that, but we will be making a, a donation on behalf of our listeners to Robson Roca, either his family or research to make sure that hopefully fewer people pass away because of this terrible, terrible disease. So again, rest in peace, Robson Roca, and uh, on a totally different note, enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are Zach and Vince, and we are here to talk about the comics that come out on Ju- July. I almost said June. June. I just did it again, motherfucker. Uh, July thirteenth, twenty twenty-one. Um, starting with the Action Comics Annual, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Sia Um and Scott Godlewski. So. I have a feeling I'm not going to be alone in this, but wouldn't you guys rather read this every month than anything else Superman related right now? <laughs> okay, I'm the, so I'm the guy who likes action comics right now. It's good. Uh, it's good. This is better. But yeah, I, I would rather read this, definitely. Um, that said, I was a little, I, I was slightly disappointed with what this was. Mm-hmm. Um. Because this is like a story that's taking place before the story that we had in Future State. Well, okay, the 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 super the House of L part of the story. <laughs> well, no, it's still taking place before. It's really confusing because there's like a framing device that is set like maybe in current time. I, I think it's supposed to be like six months from now, like when Superman is is on war world and you sure. can't say his name. That's how, that's how I sure. read it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty close to the now. And then there's a, a character who knows the future for some reason and, and relays the house of L story, um, which is cool because we get to learn, we, we get to see a little bit more of the characters that we saw in the future state issue. 
Um, but it doesn't tell us that much more about them. It's kind of just cool that we get to see them, I guess. And we already kind of know the trajectory and a little bit more about the, um, what's the evil, like Superman's evil son's name? Pyros. Pyros. Yeah. Pyros. We already know his trajectory and where he's going. So just having him kind of be this lame villain in this is, is not that interesting or exciting. Um, I don't know. I liked this, but I didn't like it quite as much as I thought I would or wanted to. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. Um, you guys are high. Well, no, I I mean I for I I still would rather be reading this than Action Superman um, as as they currently are, but I just think that this was uh, the thing that was great about the Future State issue, and I I, I know I I know I criticized. DC more than the creative team for cramming all of that into one issue. But I have to say, like, and I think I'm pretty sure I, I hope I got this across at the time, even though I felt like it was overstuffed, I would rather read an overstuffed story about these characters than this story, which is, yeah, it's got all the new unconventional characters, but it's telling a very conventional story. Um, oh, there's a wedding. Somebody comes to break up the wedding. A fight breaks out. They get trapped in the phantoms. It's all very conventional, overly so, for 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 my optimal taste. That said, it still was one of the best things I read this week from DC. I think like I, that's that's mild criticism because I think like these are cool characters. They're fun. Um, the art was pretty good. Um, nothing like di- didn't like blow me away, but. Um, but you know, as far as like sci-fi superhero art goes, pretty good. The cyborg yeah, who, super. Who, What's uh, that? I didn't. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I did want to. Who, who did the art in the Future State issue? Was that John Thames? No, I um, believe it was Scott Godlewski. I think it, it was, was Godlewski. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. And the cyborg Superman reveal was yeah the 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 like the like evil son of Superman the red red the red Superman kid, like that being reveal, like, okay, well he was already like kind of the bad guy in the future state one. And like, now here he is again. Um, but then throwing cyborg Superman in there and having it be the, you know, like a future version of Hank Henshaw was, was, was fun. Well, it lasted, even though, even though the, the reveal there was pretty conventional and, and easy to see coming as well. Um, so yeah, like reading this was a good, it was a good hang. But it didn't blow me away. Brian, tell me why we're crazy. Well, okay. I mean, I, look. This is, is clearly better than Superman Beyond 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, uh, no, something, I, I, Something's never changed. <laughs> Zach, you went away, but you held that grudge. <laughs> yes. I'll never forget. <laughs> um, this just... This just scratches the itch for me because I, I think that well, well, Vince, you're not wrong that there are elements of this story that feel a little bit uh, tropey or whatever because we've seen it before. The wedding, the fight, the Phantom Zone, all of that. I think that's fair. But I think if you look at the majority of superhero comics week in and week out, you're getting stories like that all the time. There are very you're few. Me. Yeah, exactly. There are very few 
Deathstroke runs, right? Where you're getting something that is truly that truly feels like it's something you haven't read before almost every week. We don't get those things very often. What I like about this is one of the things that we have criticized any number of times on this show is Okay, so let me back up for one second. So I, I wrote the soliciting DC column today for Multiversity. And in the September solicit for um, Justice League, it, they did not release the cover to the Justice League issue, and they just said that there's new characters coming. And that gets that gets me excited, because I, I always like when the Justice League expands its rosters. But I wrote in there that knowing that this is Bendis, it will take until February until one of them does something interesting, because yeah. everything gets dragged out so unbelievably slowly. This is the exact opposite of that. We got – if you didn't read the House of L Future State issue, you could still follow everything that happens in here. And if you did read the Future State House of L issue, it's not like this felt super redundant and you didn't need to see this stuff again. Like everything just kind of worked in this. It was a really nice – it was a really nice, really engaging story that – introduced characters I instantly cared about that gave something different than the normal like, and there, there are so many stories about the Superman family and I don't I'm not hating on those stories I love those stories but this feels different than any of those stories before for a couple of reasons and it's just it's really it it's exciting it's different and I legitimately while you know like you said Vince we know sort of how this story wraps up in some ways but you don't um yeah I, I don't know how to I don't know how to say this it's just you don't get stories this solid every day you don't get this many new characters introduced and clearly every day to me it's just a really really well crafted good issue is it as good as the house of l one shot no but I would still take this 100 times out of 100 over the action comics run, which I actually like. And, I, you know, and the Superman run, absolutely 100 times over 100. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I, and I think what you say is true about, you know, there's so much of this, like, chaff that we read every week. And I think, like... You know, the the good thing about where DC and Marvel are kind of at these days is, um, I feel like if if you're a if you're an average reader who picks up you know an issue or two a week or whatever pops into your comic store on a whim and and you pick anything off the shelf, these days you pretty much get a good solid comic with decent art pretty much every time i think i think the very very seldom these days do you get like an absolute stinker like you sometimes got during the new 52 like i think they've i think they've editorialized their way into just being able to write these solid stories that don't shake anything up too much you know and if you if you pick get up off the shelf you're probably going to have a good time with it when you read you know, six or seven or eight issues a week, all that stuff becomes very routine to you. And um, you start to look for the 
the brighter spots or you start to care more about the, the, the really top tier stuff and, and recognize it more. And that's what I thought this was going to be. And then what I got instead was something in between the top tier and the kind of routine. Um, so yeah, I still think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the better things this week, but yeah, I was waiting for it to blow me away. And I guess that's my, I guess that's my fault. (laughs) Sure. But you're right. Yeah, you're right. Like you don't get, you don't get stories with new characters told like this every week. You get, you get a lot of routine week after week. Yeah. And this is also the only Blue Lantern love we're ever going to get anymore. Yes. <laughs> um, Again, a, a, a lantern, uh, a non-conventional lantern ring showing up somewhere other than a Green Lantern book. Something we talked about with the Black Lantern stuff two weeks ago. Yeah, but it's good when it's Blue Lanterns. It's good when it's any... I think it, I it's think good it when it's anything other than black or white lanterns. Yeah, I am willing and, to or bet. Red. Uh, I am willing to bet that Roy Harper makes black lanterns good again. Interesting, but we'll see about that. I think only Frank Leminski can save them. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the question: Does did Frank Leminski's ring go dead when the power battery blew up? We didn't see his name. Okay, up next is Batman the Detective, number four, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Andy Kubert. This was uh, discussed at the request of Mr. Wilkerson. So, Zach, did you catch up on the series beforehand, or did you just jump right into this? I caught up on everything that I'm talking about this week and next week. Wow. That's some dedication there. I know, right? So what did you think of Batman the Detective thus far? Um, I really like Andy Kubert. Or wait, shit, is this Andy or Adam? This is Andy. <laughs> Andy. Andy is the DC boy. Adam is the Marvel boy. Well, well I, I like... just said it when he introduced the issue. If you were, I also did do that. Yes. Boy, you don't yeah. even listen to the show when you're on it. <laughs> That's true. I don't. I don't. Um. Now I was privately thinking about, oh, should we talk about Richard Donner dying? But. <laughs> oh. <laughs> R.I.P. to a real one. Yes. Um, Australia. Yeah. Um, I really liked the art. I don't. I I have very little to say about this series. I like mainlined the four issues that are out, and I I remember very little about it. Um, outside of the art being really good and fun and and i do you know i'm a i'm a knight and squire simp so that that was cool but also they don't get to do very much so and i don't care about henry ducard vince anything to add to that yeah i think um you know i've said on previous episodes that the story is just kind of whatever for me I think it's fairly standard stuff. The Ducard stuff, other than him being kind of like a a likable rogue in this, um, you know, there's there's not really any new territory there. The thing that I really like and that I appreciated reading this issue was um, Andy Kubert and how, like, I think we've talked before about how Kubert's line work is not necessarily my favorite or like what I like about him. 
Mm-hmm. But the way that he stages this, like, he just knows how to draw a comic book. He is There's... an incredible visual storyteller. Yes, absolutely. And so there's some artists where, you know, I, I go there for the line work. I'm thinking of like your Marcus Toes and your Cliff Changs, you know, and the stuff like that. Kubert, I just appreciate so much because he makes every everything that you're looking at in a comic feel weighty or interesting. Like there's that um, interrogation scene, like halfway through this issue where, where it's like the fake Interpol mm-hmm. um, uh, interrogating Bruce. That scene is so tense and it's almost entirely because of the art. I think, you know, it's like, it's like tense and sweaty. There's moments where like Bruce looks like he's sweating into a pool of, of like, like he is becoming a puddle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really well staged, you know? It's not necessarily the prettiest to look at, but it's like, man, it, it tells that story really well. Just like just like John Romita Jr. Uh, yeah, like, well, I mean, yes. He is the good John Romita Jr. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not wrong, though, Zach, because yeah. like second like, generation I... comic artist, too. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But, but I, 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 it was funny, though, when you were talking about like when you were doing the whole spiel about, you know, not loving the line work, but the storytelling can be really good. And, uh-huh. and I do think that applies to Romita as well. Although I, I think, do think I think Kubert's line work, especially like modern day, is better. probably better than Romita. Yeah. The thing about Romita is I, I also think Romita's gotten lazy in recent years with the with the staging part, too. Mm-hmm. I yes. think like like if I think of something from recent memory that where I think like, okay, I don't love the line work, but the staging is, is there Um, the Rick Remender, Captain America stuff Mm -hmm. that he drew. That stuff was so much fun to read. Even if I didn't love the, the line work, I think like his recent stuff with Bendis was just lazy all the way around. Um, You know, Actually, even the silencer stuff was was better from a, a staging perspective, I think, than like his more recent work. Uh, yeah, I think if so. It, if anyone remembers that silencer existed, I, I remember the silencer. If I think anyone remembers the stuff was pretty good too. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, I did want to mention that because I really, I really do appreciate like kind of the minor legend that Andy Kubert and his brother have become, you know, that there's a reason, there's a reason why people appreciate this art. And I think, I think actually in recent years, it's, it's, they're a little underrated. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, they're uh, underrated in part because they're so consistent the, you yeah, know, they're always doing stuff. It's always pretty good. You know, we, we don't. There's not a lot of time to like reevaluate them because they don't take enough of a break for reevaluation. Right, and the reason why they're good is so stealthy. You know, like it's not showy at all. Like it's not. I know the Cuberts have done some event comic work, um, especially Adam. I think at Marvel in recent years, but. 
it's not really what you think of when you think of modern event comics, right? So it's not showy. It's not super detailed. It's It just tells a story really well. I mean, yeah. we, we know that you're a big Andy Kubert fan from your Dark Knight 3 fandom. Yeah, so. yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he is. I, I would probably not think about it off the top of my head, but if you just want to talk about, like, one of the best modern bat artists. I mean, his work on the Morrison run, I think is Batman and son stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he did like the Batman six, six, six issue too. Um, that stuff is extremely iconic. And then, I mean, we laugh about dark Knight three, but that book did look really good. And then, and then like this, which in a lot of ways is kind of, calling back to i think some of his yep. mm-hmm. work on the morrison run visually in a lot of ways um so and even some of the dark knight stuff i think so it he's really good and talking about adam too i know vince thinks x books fell off but he's doing some really good stuff in wolverine he's like the only reason to read that book sure yeah i i believe that <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um no, it's um, I think I'm highest on this book of anybody, which um doesn't really surprise me, because I feel like you guys, when it comes to bat stuff, I think are more burned out on bat stuff than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know why that is necessarily, but I guess I just feel like this is different enough from the bat stuff we've been getting elsewhere. But I've I have really been thoroughly enjoying this. I think that. I mean, th- this is not this is not going to win an Eisner. This is not groundbreaking comic stuff. But I think that the way that, like Vince was saying, Kubert, like you know, the way he lays out a page is really fun. I think that Taylor has is Taylor is new enough to DC still, where he's still having fun with the Batman concepts. Like just something as simple as I'm, I'm actually pulling up the PDF to get this phrase right. The European Alliance of the Bat. That's that's like a nice little kind of Grant Morrisony thing, but it's also a very like traditional Batman. You know, he has agents everywhere thing. I think that Taylor handles all that stuff really well. I think that the Ducard stuff. Well, I think you know I, I understand why Zach says you know that his he's not you know really feeling the Ducard stuff. I don't think that it was. I don't think it was bad stuff. I just oh, think, it's not bad. You know, no. um, you you bringing up Taylor though did make remind me of something that I wanted to say about the writing, and sure. it's that I do feel like t- Taylor has a fairly distinctive voice. Maybe maybe not as much as other writers. He is a bit of a chameleon sometimes, um, but I detect nothing of him in this. I if you gave me to this gave me this book. And asked me to guess the writer, I couldn't do it. Um, and that's a little disappointing to me. I, I might agree with that. I, I, I don't. Maybe there's a little bit of Taylor in there. I, I think that Taylor is really good. And I was thinking about this in relation to this and to Suicide Squad, where mm-hmm. Taylor sets up a story in the first couple of issues in a way that just envelops and unfolds really nicely. And I feel like this is, I mean, I enjoyed Suicide Squad a lot more than this, but I feel that they are paced in similar ways. 
I don't know if I agree with that, but I also can't really fight it. So <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Okay. Fair enough. Anything else to say about uh, this book? Um, can I tell you one thing it does that I uh, that I don't like too much? Is it the giant oracle head? No, no, that's okay. fine. Nothing wrong with that. It's the it's the this issue kind of became a little bit about like exploring how Bruce and and Batman can exist can coexist in the same place at the same time, mm-hmm. and people still not realize that he's Batman, you know, it tries to dance around the coincidences that, that happen when those two are in the same, are operating in the same place, you know? Yeah. And it falls back on the whole, like, Oh, you're, you're financing Batman, aren't you? And I just think that stuff, that stuff is a little like Morrison saying, like who pumps the air in the tires of the Batmobile. Like I know they're doing it because it's part of this, uh, interrogation or investigation or whatever but i just think like anytime you try to handle that stuff too realistically it comes off as extremely uh, contrived and so it's not like it like it didn't really hamper the issue for me but i whenever i read that kind of thing i always go ah i don't i don't know if i care for that or need that you know what i mean like yeah i understand that i i guess this isn't a, a counterpoint to that or anything, but I think that, that that piece of this issue is so small that you can you can somewhat overlook that without it without it being too big of a deal. Oh yeah, for sure. And it it's something that happens in Batman comics all the time. It's just a yeah. minor it's a thing that I think about when I read that that sort of thing and I just think like hey, you don't really need to do this. We don't need to keep up See, the pretense here. <laughs> right. I I kind of like that stuff a little bit in that it like it's kind of like super dickery, you know, the, the, the false identity, the, the, the doppelganger or whatever. I, I always think that stuff is kind of fun and silly, even if it's a little unnecessary. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't need them to try to explain it too much. That, you sure. Know. Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, I think they've even done that as recently as the Tanyan run a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on then to Infinite Frontier. I'm sorry. Into the Flash Annual 2021 written by Jeremy Adams, illustrated by Fernando Passaren and Brandon Peterson. Now, Zach, you have not talked with the Flash. You have not talked to us about the Flash since you've been back, correct? Right, yeah. In so, fact, I don't know if I... I guess I did talk about the first issue of The Flash. I couldn't remember if that was... I think that was the last episode I did, or the second to last episode. That sounds correct. It came out really late, I yeah. remember. Um, um, so I, I am interested in your thoughts. Uh, just just to catch up, because Lord knows you didn't listen. Um, Vince and I have sort of routinely shit on the art, while overall really enjoying the story specifically i i I think i speak for both of us both of us enjoying the ollie barry michael holt like home team aspect of the book um yeah that's sort of where we've been with it where are you with this book um i assume in with you shitting on the art you specifically mean the peterson stuff yes okay 
because I, I mean, I haven't loved the Peterson stuff, but I have loved really every other artist that has worked on it. You know, we had La Fuente and then um, we had McGuire and I'm trying to think who McGuire else. McGuire was on like two pages, though. <laughs> no, he was a the whole legion yeah that, that wasn't that long of a piece though yeah it was brian it was like the whole issue i just read it <laughs> it wasn't the whole issue then I'm they gonna go count into the pages now then they it go into the, the future issue. but what I was... plus a little from the previous issue yeah okay hold on i'm not talking about this issue wait no i know i know but, but, no, but what i'm, I'm gonna look it up now Okay. Here, put a snap. I was, I was, no, I was exaggerating two pages, but I was hoping he was going to do that whole issue. Was my point, and then it was wound up being just a piece of it. But it was a really great piece of that issue. That was also the jam issue. Yes, exactly. But that only had that had like a like a few artists doing like just a couple of pages. McGuire yeah. was like the lion's share of that issue. He, he took the whole front half of that issue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which that did remind me, like, um, Brian Hitch is the only one allowed to draw the JSA now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what did we do to deserve that? Um, but anyway, I have like really, uh, aside from the, I guess, kind of like jam band nature of this run so far, which is, I guess, like for some people could be a detractor. I've, I've really liked it a lot. Um, and I, I haven't even, you know, I haven't minded the Peterson stuff as much because he has been doing the, you know, the home, the away team, I guess, or the, the, the gang back in the cave. And that's not, you know, quite as, um, that's just three guys standing around essentially, you know, it's not, he's not doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Um, although I would say that I think that's been like my least favorite part of the series so far is their their stuff because it's a little less um i i've been way more into wally jumping into these different points in time um and 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 as fun as that is and and you know when we cut away to them kind of back in the cave mucking around dodging linda's calls you know i'm like oh okay okay let's let's get to let's get back to wally um, See, but I, I've generally really liked this arc yeah. a lot. Yeah, obviously, I am the Wally simp of the bunch, right? But I feel like I really enjoyed that the interaction between those characters. And I, for I was thinking about this today when I was reading um, the annual, which is that I think DC for so long has been avoiding just. I mean, I, we talked about the avoidance of legacy and all that, but I think specifically also has been avoiding showing us sort of heroes doing stuff when they're not necessarily like in costume being heroes. And so just like I've really enjoyed them when they go to the Flash Museum and uh, just, you know, like just, just using their intellect as opposed to just punching and kicking shit. So sure. I, I really enjoyed that stuff, but but I understand sure. what you're saying as well. Yeah, and I I mean I'm a big Ollie guy, so I like that he is being used with these characters in a fun way, and you know in Lad Chat Vince, you know made a joke about Mister Terrific just being the guy in Flash now, which oh that's not a joke. That's I legit like that role for him because because he's let's be honest he's not getting his own book anytime soon. No, sure. 
and, um, and and although we all hope a JSA book is on the horizon, we're still waiting for that for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love mean, having still, him around in this role. It feels a bit of a downgrade from like Terrifics, but that book also didn't have a very high profile, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so let's one, let's get into this issue then, I guess. Well, one oh, one last thing I wanted sure. to say before we talk about this issue, like. I just adored the last issue so much, like the bit where he jumps into his older self's body and talks to Irie. Wasn't yeah. that like, wasn't that uh, his son's body actually? You're right. It was his son's body. Yeah. You're right. Sorry, I, I got I got confused because like he, you know, the artist would draw him as him. If you're you right. watched more Quantum Leap, this wouldn't confuse you as much. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. I yeah, I'm a dunce. Um, <laughs> but that whole sequence was so good. It was, and it was lovely. It, it was just all of the just it does all of the things that I think we like in comics, which is like the teasing about the future and also the um, kind of rose-colored glasses nostalgia of the past at the same time mm-hmm. it's almost like he's the unproblematic johns <laughs> you're right you're right it is almost like that um and yeah he is gonna in this issue not only fix heroes in crisis he's gonna fix flash rebirth too that's right <laughs> well let's first talk about heroes in crisis so it's a very interesting time to be fixing heroes in crisis because in a book we're going to talk about after this we see that and we already know this from infinite frontier zero but you know we know that roy harper's alive and so this issue really puts ollie through the emotional ringer when it comes to 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 roy even though we know that roy is alive um, and I think that's just a very interesting time to have this all happen. I, I wonder, I like to believe they're very well coordinated, and this was supposed to come out, I think it was two weeks or three weeks ago. This is this was delayed pretty substantially. And there's one particular part of this that I thought was really interesting, which is that both this issue and the Infinite Frontier issue specifically mentions Leon his daughter, mm-hmm. who has not been mentioned in a very long time. I feel like you you see it referenced in like the flashbacks of the you know, I forget if it was now in the Infinite Frontier special uh, Secret Files or if it was in I think it issues. was. But like but it's never I feel like it's always somebody monologuing about her. Mm-hmm. Right? She she's she's very rarely like, you know, a, an active part of the story. But here, you know, she's name checked Granted, she's name-checked by Roy, but in, in two separate issues. And for those that were not reading comics around around the time that this happened, uh, so um, in uh, Cry for Justice, which was a James Robinson uh, sort of secondary Justice League book, there was this hero named Prometheus who was trying to uh, take down the Justice League, and he created an earthquake, I believe. Well, he... he he paid off somebody to create an earthquake and Roy's daughter was killed. And that's what sent him on a drug relapse, which ended in him using a cat as an arrow while strung out in heroin in a JT Kroll penned miniseries. Um, 
And I just find it very interesting, like, the timing of this Roy stuff. Do you, am I reading too much into that, or is it interesting timing? Um, I mean, I think it's – I think it is coordinated timing. Like, I think that now – a lot of what Infinite Frontier is about is specifically about rehabilitating Wally and Roy. Mm -hmm. And this this finishes the rehabilitation of Wally, whereas the rehabilitation of Roy is going to be happening over in Infinite Frontier. Now, let me ask the question here. We don't really see what happens after Roy shoots the arrow at the time bubble. We presume that it still kills him. But is that I, how Roy is still alive now? Did no. Wally actually change this, you think? No. No? I think everything happened. This okay. is how it's always happened. Okay. I th the way I read it. Correct. I tend to agree with you. I just wasn't sure if they were trying to do some... You know, I feel like sometimes DC feels like they have to explain every little thing down. I can't just be like... Roy's back now. They have to be Roy's well, back because of this. this I this, think this. they will. I mean, a lot of people are back for no reason other than reality was rebooted. Right. But I think Roy is specifically back because he's a Black Lantern. Mm -hmm. I think we'll get that laid out. And we'll talk about that in like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but the Heroes in Crisis thing, it is... I mean, it's it's sort of staggering how much Tom King's writing has been retconned as of late. <sighs> like, yeah. It's it's sort of insane. Um, and the fact that Wally was so put through the ringer in Heroes in Crisis, only now to have it not his fault at all, is, I mean, I, I think we all expected Wally to be rehabilitated, but I don't think anybody expected, at least I didn't expect it to be this this like complete of a washing of his character though he, yeah it's almost it's almost like some people at dc think that that story was a bad idea <laughs> yeah yeah or at the very least poorly executed yes um, um vince what did you think of this annual we have some more stuff to talk about but generally what did you think of the annual um, I, I liked it a lot. It was shocking how close it's been to the same story uh, every time we talk about the Flash stuff, regardless of who the artists are, because, um, you know, again, my big problem is with the art. I'll get to that in a second. But as far as the story goes, like, I just think Adams is doing such good full-bodied work here. Um, the emotional core of this is extremely good. That stuff, he he really is, for right now, I know the body of work is small compared to Jeff Johns, but like he is writing similarly to Jeff Johns without the baggage and some of the bullshit so far, you know? Um, that emotional core, that, that, that look towards the past, the restoration of the past, um, but in a... a fresh emotionally resonant way that stuff is all here um the look to the future as well uh the promise of what comes next um 
the the stuff with Roy is is very good. The stuff where he gives Wally the little speech before he pops the the time bubble is really well written. Um, but this art, man, like, I I, I guess I'm just not a big fan of Brandon Peterson's art. Um, in general, well, it's are, kinda... are you ta- which are you talking Peterson's art in the like in the modern times? Or are you talking about Will Conrad? Not Will Conrad. Who did the uh... Passaren? Yeah, Fernando Passaren. Well, I'm talking about Brandon Peterson because I said Brandon Peterson. <laughs> um, so... But you were talking about the Roy stuff, which wasn't drawn by him, which is no, why I'm I asked s- the question. I, I'm switching Wise to talking ass. about the. I'm switching Man, to talking we're all about real the art tonight. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm I'm talking about the art now, and I'm not talking about the art in the Roy stuff. I'm talking about the art in the book in general. Okay, sir. Um, and I'm setting it up by saying I think I'm just not a fan of of Peterson's art in general. I think it's over rendered. I think it's like over, it's like over inked, or there's too much shadow, or or something. Something about it just doesn't. I don't know. It is the it is the Will Conrad problem. You, I was you gonna mentioned. say it's a good thing he's not the artist on the book anymore. Oh wait. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it is that same problem. It's like it's like over it's like over rendered and 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 glossy almost, but then also like too dark. I I don't know. Passerin, um, as an artist, I really like. Like I like his line work. It's very distinct the way he draws characters. I think they look really great. I don't think it's a great fit for the flash. Like I think Passerin's art on some of the green lantern stuff was great back in the day. Uh, more recently, the Hawkman stuff. I think he was a great fit for Hawkman, just a great fit of artist and character. And I just don't think that works in the flash for me. Like his Wally doesn't really look like Wally to me. His speedsters don't really move like speedsters to me. Um, and so this whole book so far with, with a few exceptions we've already talked about has just been not necessarily bad artists, just ill fitting for what I look for in a flash comic, you know? Um, and really like, like I wanted to love the stuff with Savitar cause like revisiting that stuff and quote unquote fixing it or explaining it in a way that, that, that sort of does Wally justice, um, I'm really into that idea, but then that segment, you know, even if I like Passerin as an artist, it's just too, it's like too overdone and too, um, too detailed. But when it comes to the flash, I don't want that much detail, you know, um, that that's a personal thing, I guess, but, um, I want it to be a little breezier. I, I agree with you. My own, my only, my counterpoint, it's not even really a counterpoint necessarily. I think Passerin, he, he's not a good fit for a flash book, but he's a great fit for a heroes in crisis. Um, reprisal. Uh, yeah, yes. Would you call him yes. like Play-Doh man instead of clay man? Yeah, <laughs> like just, I would. Uh, yeah. A little bit of a cheaper version. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that, it works really well for going back to this this particular era. I think it's funny he even opens up doing the like nine panel yes. interview gaff, which was hilarious. Um, but I I generally do agree. I mean, if if 
if Basarin was like the main artist on this book, I I don't think I would complain too much though. Amidst all the other options that we have. Yeah. God, I would want him on a different book. I want him on a book. I just want him on a different book. Yeah, I know. But if if we were given a choice of, you know, the, the handful of artists that we have, I mean, like, okay, I, I want someone kind of like La Fuente, but maybe a little bit, like, uh, I John want, Timms? Like, John Timms would be good. I would Timms really like... Maybe like I mean this is dipping over into Marvel territory, but I think of like of course it is. Get Jesus. get get Humberto Ramos back. Uh-huh. He'd be good. Get um, Ramon Villalobos on this. Here's 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 my take: the Flash artists and Spider Man artists should should like trade a lot. Yeah, because I think that there's even though there's such different characters. I mean, that's what I just yeah. I know, but as we were saying, yeah. I was just thinking about it. No, when, yeah, definitely. when you said Ramon, I thought you were going to say Ramon K. Perez, not oh, yeah. Ramon Villalobos. I was like, oh, that's a great, that's a great pick. But then you went someplace else, That'd and I think, good. you know, I, I think that there's a lot of Spider artists who could do really good on the Flash. Yeah, that would be good as well. Yeah. Oh man, remember when we used to think that Dan Slaw would be a good Flash writer? Yeah. Yeah. We, we were dumb. I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd still take him on something. I, this I is this is just Bendis 2.0, where we talk ourselves into getting a You're chubby right. over this, You're and then we're gonna be pissed <laughs> off in ten minutes. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Just get him off of Fantastic Four. Well, he's I agree gonna, with that. He's yes. gonna tweet at us. He's gonna listen to this episode and tweet at us. <laughs> that, that's probably true. Um, uh, hey Dan, you look like Spaghetti from Tim and Eric. <laughs> He does. <laughs> he does. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really like this annual. I, it comes as a surprise to no one, I'm sure. I I like the fact that Infinite Frontier thus far, and, and Zach sort of mentioned this with the, with the last issue, I feel like it's doing the best job of any of these sort of re... I don't want to call them reboots, but like refocusing of the line of not shying away from what came in the past, but also not just making the stories purely like references. Hey, remember this? Like each of these stories has really influenced the current like arc that's going on while still being a nice reminder of these past times. Um, And I think what's really, sorry, go ahead, Zach. Oh no, you go ahead. Finish up. What I was going to say is, I think what's particularly interesting about this issue is that, like you mentioned, as a you know half joking that this fixes both Heroes in Crisis and Flash Rebirth, because like I I feel like Flash Rebirth was a book that was supposed to be. I mean, just look at the title. It was literally supposed to be for Flash what what Johns did for Green Lantern, and it just wasn't at all. It, well, like, I want to talk about that a little bit because I kind of want to talk about what I m- even really mean by that. Yeah, and, and I, I do want you to to elaborate on that. But what what I like is that I feel like sometimes with when you get a when you do get a book that is looking back on a past event, you're looking back on only the really well remembered stuff. Like everybody references Nightfall because that was a huge Batman story. No one talks about like Night's End or Night Quest, right? The the, the lesser follow ups. And I feel like this issue in particular 
tackles two really important pieces of Flash mythology in Heroes in Crisis and Flash Rebirth, but not important because they were good. Important because they set the line back in a lot of ways. So go off on Flash Rebirth for a minute. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I'll preface this with saying I haven't read Flash Rebirth in several years. I I have a, a vague recollection of what happens. But I would say in general... Um, in terms of a kind of accomplishing that title, this is a much th- this is a much better Flash Rebirth than that Flash Rebirth was, and also like that Flash Rebirth, I think actually broke a lot of the Flash that we've spent the last decade that writers have spent the last decade slowly trying to fix. Um, one by like making Barry the focus again, and then two making the focus on the stuff with Barry's mom really like this the flash stuff in flash rebirth and flashpoint because if i'm not if i'm not mistaken wasn't like the flash rebirth thing wasn't that the first time the stuff with his mom was ever really a thing well you have to realize there hadn't been there hadn't been a Barry Allen story by that point in the like twenty-five years. Sure. So yeah, even but that, if it was that didn't a thing, have roots. It that wasn't didn't have roots in anything, though. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, but I would say that it certainly wasn't like the only Barry story. Whereas it's right. kind of become the okay. only Barry. So I mean, it's it, it, exactly it's yeah. the Barry story in Justice League, the movie. It's the Barry story in the Flash TV show. Yeah. Yeah, and and like Flashpoint became like the Barry story. Yes, mm. even that was um, referenced here. Yeah, yeah, and you could almost argue. I think like it was a little bit less. Um, you know, there was less vitriol around it, but in a lot of ways, like Flashpoint was as kind of toxic to Barry's character as Heroes in Crisis was to Wally's. I think. Um, just in kind of like they're there's not flashpoint didn't like soil Barry's character in the same way that heroes in crisis did but it did define the character for so long um in a way that i think was reductive and kind of detrimental and you know we, we've kind of moved past that but i think this issue and this arc in particular really finally closes the circle on all of the things that that original flash rebirth did wrong and all the things that it kind of set into motion and now we're kind of back um where we were you know a couple decades ago maybe and can and can just get going again only barry's here and he doesn't matter as much but they're giving barry something interesting to do they are giving him something to do. Yeah, I, I'm be yeah, when I say he doesn't matter, I kind of mean like in the day-to-day. Right. He he actually matters a lot. He's going to be a fifth world god. So, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um I mean, I you know, you know me, I'm still pining for that Flash Speed Force book we were promised and never got. And so I would love to see the Flash get a second title because I feel like of all of the characters at DC, I feel like a Flash family book would have the. Uh, how can I say this? I think it's it would be easiest to have a book that was set around like Bart 
and Max and now Jay and Irie and I forget the name of the Flash that was introduced in uh in Williamson's run. Um Avery. Avery, yeah, yeah, you know. Um and you now have like some of the you know, the future state flash. There's a lot there's a lot of alternate flashes running around and you could have them all interact basically across the entire DC universe in really fun ways. So I still don't really want that second flash book. But I also think in general we're just we're not gonna get those books anymore. I think that Superman and Batman are gonna be the only characters that are gonna have those books regularly. Those supporting cast books. Yeah, I don't know. We've really got that. We've got that great uh, Brett Booth uh, penned variant cover with all of the various Flash members on it. It's very good. Yeah, yeah you liked that, didn't you? I did like that. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about today? Remember there was a there was a second Aquaman book as part of the New 52 for a bit? Yeah, the others. Yeah. And that that's kind of nuts. Just we'll maybe revisit it. that at some point. Eh, maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Um, anything else to say about this annual? I'm just like, really, I mean, I liked Williamson's run pretty well. I fell off of it around issue 50, I think. Um, and that, that was, you know, nothing on him. We've talked at length about how I think his, his run got, uh, held up by all the stuff that was going on at DC at the time. Um, but this is the most I've liked a flash book in I I don't know how long. It's um I I'd really love this arc. I think this might I don't wanna over this might <laughs> um, Oh, I Are you about to it. Green Lantern yourself? Yeah, I am. I think that this is maybe my favorite like opening arc of all of the Infinite Frontier books. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's less Green Lanterning or re, or um that's not where I thought he that's was. That's not Trinity. I, Trinity I didn't myself, myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were um, gonna say it's the the beginning the of the flash. best flash ever run of all time. Oh uh, well, actually, I I <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it really could be. I love the supporting cast. I love the stuff with. I actually really like Gold Beetle, who I thought was gonna be a really dumb like Deadpool esque character. Yes, I like Gold Beetle. Um, but now I'm really excited for Gold Beetle. Uh, she's kind of like a... Nice with all, she, Yeah, she, she's <laughs> kind of nice with it. For all the Doctor Who heads out there, she's like a, she's got that river song thing going on. So Now I don't like this. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what she is. No, I'm just um, kidding. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see where this arc where this this run goes i just um like you guys i think maybe hope that the art evens out a little bit well we'll talk about the art next week yeah we will and yeah uh anyway let's take a break and when we return we will talk about our last few weeks of the week so stay tuned Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, 
discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with Infinite Frontier number two, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Paul Pelletier, Jesus Marino, and Zermanico. There's a lot of stuff in this issue, guys. This is like rapid-fire comic booking here. Um, I have a sort of general question of this, which is, do you think that the various artists on this were put on here for time reasons or for stylistic ones? I have a reason for asking that question. I vote time. I kind of think time, too. I think this is another, like, uh, 52-esque flourish. Um, That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with you, but I have to say there were some pages in this that I thought would not have worked as well if there weren't multiple artists on this issue, if that makes sense. Like, I thought specifically the Captain Adam stuff looked really, like, strikingly different than some of the other stuff. And I liked that, especially when, when you get the Captain Adam reveal. Like, I think it was smart that they did that, you know. Um, but overall, I, I think it was for time, too. So anyway, there, there's a couple of just bullet points I want to hit with this. Um, you know, we we get a uh, a, a, a reminder that uh, Cameron Chase is going to be a thing again. In the DC Universe, after after a long spell, she goes to the Hall of Justice to talk to Batman and Superman about just, uh, you know, multiversal shit, essentially. And they're not telling her everything. We see in the Hall of the House of Heroes, we see Thomas uh, Flashpoint, Thomas Wayne. That is Flashpoint, right? That's, yeah. It sounded wrong coming out of my mouth. Yeah, Flashpoint, Thomas Wayne, uh, talking with President Superman. And we get uh, sort of... A, quick glimpse at some other Earths and then they show up on Earth 22 and they get uh, attacked by drumroll Magog quick couple things that in that sequence that I wanted to highlight this is specifically the Thomas Wayne from Tom King's Batman run yes confirmed which is wacky and they have the multiversity guidebook from multiversity yes which is fantastic I meant to yeah. mention that. Thank you for bringing that's that there. That's yeah. there. Uh, what's he? The yeah, okay. He just calls it their guidebook, but it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just very fun. It is. Um. So I am like knee deep in Magog stuff in my JSA read through right now, and so I when it was Earth twenty two, I was like, oh, Magog's gonna show up because that's that's the Kingdom Come Earth. Um. But interesting that I, I feel like specifically when Williamson spoke to us ahead of Infinite Frontier Zero, he said that. He wanted the quintessence in this book to specifically be the quintessence from Kingdom Come. So this is now the second sort of like direct Kingdom Come uh, connection we've seen. Then we get a whole story with Obsidian and uh, Alan Scott and Vandal Savage and Mr. Terrific. How basically Jade is missing and there are a number of JSA folks who came back but quote fell off the map. And it's interesting to see who's there. It's Damage, Power Girl, Our Man, uh, the uh, Yolanda Montez um, 
Wildcat. We get the um, I forget her name now, but the the uh, Doctor Midnight from um, Pre Crisis from uh, from Earth from rather from Earth Two Pre Crisis, who was also on the Starman show and Adam Smasher. There, it's just an interesting group of JSA heroes who have who have like fallen off the table, and so part of the story is going to be going after those folks. Um, we see Alan Scott basically slap down Vandal Savage. I'm just going through all that. There's so much to talk about here. I just want to make sure we're not forgetting anything. So we can, we can discuss in detail in a minute. I just want to get through all the sort of big beats here. We see Roy playing around with his Black Lantern ring, and he has a little flashback to hanging out with Ollie and Hal. Then we get this image where his his he's learning to use his lantern ring, and he gets this like big cinematic vision in the sky, and in that vision we see. I, I can't tell if that's Barry or Wally. I think it's Wally just based on the ears, but we see a flash in chains. We see Flashpoint Batman. We see Dark Side. Um, we see Leon Harper, his daughter, and we see. Psycho Pirate in his dark side getup, um, and he's he's screaming, "Tell me, tell me how this is possible!" And the answer he gets is just Dark Side is. So we see that Dark Side is somehow very involved with this Black Lantern ring, which is again an interesting new wrinkle to the Black Lantern ring we've seen before. Um, then we get a Captain Adam sequence, and Cameron Chase comes and chats with him, and basically gets him to admit that he is the Captain Adam from a different reality. She asks which reality, and he answers by basically setting himself off into a nuclear explosion and saying Darkseid is. A lot happens in this issue. Was there a part of this that you guys particularly enjoyed, a part that you didn't enjoy? Sort of, you know, let's talk about sort of the highs and lows of this issue. Vince, you go first. Um, I think I enjoyed all of it. The, uh, the the one thing, the one thing that bugged me in the whole issue is that they're still doing the thing where, okay, everybody's back, but oh, some people are missing. <laughs> you know, where like, I feel like this thing that DC has been doing since, well, really since... Uh, Flashpoint ended and the New 52 started was let's create story out of let's create story out of who's not here and how we're going to go about getting them back which to me that's a little played out at this point I am much more interested in having a JSA team back and fully formed and having some kind of adventure right Mm mm-hmm I feel like we've just been telling these stories for way too. Like every time there's another event or another crisis, we're going, uh, oh, well, there's there's actually some people who didn't come back for whatever reason, and we got to figure out why. And um, I would argue that I would rather – I don't disagree with you at all, by the way, but I would argue that I'd rather see that happen in this book than have oh. the first JSA arc be them hunting down former – like team members. I totally agree with that. There's nothing here that tells me that that's still not going to be the case when JSA launches. You know what I mean? Like they're so good at dragging this stuff out that we can't be guaranteed that that's not exactly how JSA is going to go. 
That is that is true. I I would argue that we got that teaser from um from the John's uh, Stargirl issue, sure. and a bunch of these missing people were in that teaser. And so I think that this, I think there a, a piece of this book is going to be Williamson teeing up that team for Johns to take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that could easily be true. Zach, do you have a particular favorite part or a least favorite part? Um, not. I think my favorite part. I don't particularly have a favorite part. I think my favorite part is the Pelletier art. Yep. It's so good. Um, I love his stuff. It's so good. And um, I think that so now that uh, Nintendo officially announced the Switch OLED and it's not good, I have to find some new way to play myself. And uh, that is in being convinced that the fourth world is absolutely happening or the fifth <laughs> world, I should say. Um, and I'm, I'm just more convinced than ever with dark side being the villain with them. Uh, Batman saying that uh, Aquaman and Hawkgirl dealing with another fourth world brimstone. That's the third one this year. There's stuff going on in the fourth world. It's bad. Um, I'm, I'm just convinced and I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool idea. It is a really cool idea, and and I it's it's one that I think if anybody were to tackle that at DC right now, I I think it would be Williamson. I just think that I don't know if Williamson. I, I know he's sort of the captain of this particular event ship, but that you kind of have to commit to the fifth world for a long time. I don't know if DC is ready to necessarily give him the keys to that kingdom. Who knows? Yeah. They probably won't. I told you I'm playing myself. <laughs> um, obviously, we're going to find a way for Cameron Chase to get out of this. They're not going to introduce that character to have her nuked, like, you know, an issue later or something. Yeah, she'll be rescued by uh let's just say Mo. Yeah. <laughs> uh I I bet it's going to be by Superman because of the the like the fake damsel in distress thing she did at the Hall of Justice. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be called back when Superman rescues her. Um but what do you guys think of this idea of there being potentially like all of these alternate heroes just kind of hiding in plain sight? It's very uh, Secret Invasion-esque. I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. That was a, that was a great reveal. Um, yeah, I think if there's more of that, that's a, that's a pretty smart angle. I feel like there was so much in this book, but we were not saying all that much. Um, well, I'll I'll tell you another part I really loved. Okay. Um, I loved seeing all the different agents of the different Earths um, kind of doing stuff under the watch of the House of Heroes. Uh-huh. That whole sequence was really cool. Machine Head from the from the like Marvel parody Earth was um, was fun during that sequence. I love the, the Harbinger AI 
I think that's a really great idea, and I think it's a good look for the character. Um, yeah, that that whole bit was great, and then the Magog reveal was was awesome. How do we feel about Kingdom Come being more like a part of DC lore? I mean, it's been. I feel like it's been there pretty recently. They Kingdom Come Earth made an appearance in Young Justice mm-hmm. when Bendis was writing it. It just seems like it's one of those things that was on the shelf for so long. Like we had it in the Kingdom, and then there was the JSA Thy Kingdom Come, but then it kind of just went away for a long time. And uh, I, I, I wasn't sure if you guys felt like. It's going to be oversaturated with Kingdom Come stuff now. No, I don't think so. I think it's just like one of any other. It's just one of the more recognizable ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, oh, shit. If they did, they should be doing Kingdom Come stuff for every for every time they get the itch to do a Watchmen thing, they should just do a Kingdom Come thing instead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I can support that. It's always a better fit in the DC universe than yes. Watchmen is. It accomplishes those... a lot of the same stuff. Too, I was just going to so... say that. Yes, it, it, you're 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 playing in sort of the same sandbox with those characters. Um, by the way, have any have either of you guys read the JSA Thy Kingdom Come before? The yeah, JSA... I've read it. Yeah, no. I've read it. It's very. Su- I'm about two thirds of the way through it. It's very surprising. It's been a while since I've read it. Essentially, I I, well. the thing I and I, I just think this is this goes back to when Johns was doing really interesting stuff at DC. As, you know, so Kingdom Come Superman ends up on our Earth, and I feel like every single time you've ever seen a an al like a an alternate universe version of a character show up here, he's mad. This isn't as good as his Earth, and he's fighting. And like here, he's like, "Oh, you guys did this so much better than I did this." This is fantastic. I want to stay here. I want to help you. And I just feel like you just never get that kind of a take from these characters in the past. So it's um yeah, it's it's good. It's very good. Um the last thing I wanted to say was uh you know, I mentioned when we were talking about the Heroes in Crisis reveal in uh in the Flash annual, how Wally says like basically says goodbye to Leon, his daughter. And we were that was supposed to be out like weeks before this issue came out. And so it's interesting that after he says goodbye to Leon in that scene, we then see her show up here for the first time in a very long time, not being in a flashback. Like I said, we, we, we just saw her in um, the, uh, the Green Arrow 100 page 80th anniversary thing. But I do find that timing really interesting. And I think that if they are willing to go back and give such a minor character a quite literal rebirth, I don't know if there's any characters that are going to be basically left on the sidelines here. Good. Yeah, oh, I'm fine with it. I mean, especially because last week we kind of ripped Jeffrey Thorne for killing off a bunch of Green Lanterns for no reason. So, you know, first of all, kids... Kids probably shouldn't be killed in comics. That's a, I know it's a bold take of mine, but it's, it's how I feel. Um, and so that was a dumb move to begin with. But yeah, bring her back. I think that's fantastic. Uh, any other Infinite Frontier thoughts? 
No, it's uh, still the most exciting, interesting thing to read um, whenever we get it. Yeah, which is every three weeks, I believe. We're getting it now. So that's good. And that brings us to our final book of the week, The Joker, number five. Jokey. Jokey, as we lovingly refer to him. Um, Written by Matthew Rosenberg and James Tynan IV. Illustrated by Francesco Francovia. And uh, obviously this gives big big vibes to the Snyder, Francovia, Black Mirror stuff. Dark Mirror? Black Mirror? Black Mirror. I, I keep thinking it's wrong because of the TV show, but yeah. Um, Vinci, you've been quiet tonight. Talk to us about this. I've been quiet. Um, so, man, as much as I like Francesco Francovia, um, I don't like issues like this. <laughs> that is to say, this is a basically one-off flashback issue. Revisiting territory, I feel like we've been over a million times before. I feel like a good Joker moment is something that surprises and shocks you about his past or about his relationship to some character or, whoa, that's twisted, something like that. I think it's almost impossible to write one of those these days because we've just gotten so much jokey over the years. Um, but I got nothing out of revisiting uh, Gordon's past with the Joker, perhaps pre-Batman or at least pre-Batman like Batman reveal. No, because he, they talk about, like, you should get your friend to come. Oh, right. Okay. So Batman's so, definitely around for this. But it is it is implied, like, um, there's some line about, you know, if you're watching the Falcons, then who who's going to be the one who's watching me, you know? Right. This is, like, uh, between year one and long Halloween. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So this what is I'm essentially saying... This is essentially a cut scene from... Uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I, what I, just the Dark Knight. Just the Dark just, Knight. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm saying is uh uh it's yeah, it's like implying that like Batman is still very green and um uh, you know the the relationship between him and the Joker and Gordon is not necessarily played itself out. And but I feel like nothing in there was surprising or revelatory and just being a good looking comic um isn't really enough of an excuse to to do an issue like this for me anymore um how is this different than batman the detective then i mean i'm not really that jazzed about that comic either really you know like i like i i when I praised that comic, it was mostly for the for the art. And so I could say the same thing about Frank Avia for sure. You know, I'm not saying I hate this. I'm just saying, like, man, this book had this, like, momentum going. And then it just did an issue like this for some reason. And it kind of took the wind out of the set. Like, I, I was into what it was doing. I'm not sure why we got this. 
Zach, I'm not you... sure why we got it either, honestly, other than to just show, you know, more of Gordon's failings, which like, man, this issue hit me pretty hard. We're, we're the Gordons right now, you know, doing this podcast. <laughs> Being away from our kids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I actually felt that last page f- forgave a lot of the sins of earlier in the book. Like, that that last page hit me in the gut. I thought that was a really beautifully, sadly drawn page. Uh, I guess I'm highest on this of the three of us, which is not to say that I'm, like, super high on this. One of the things I think that this book has to do, and I would argue that this issue helps do it, is it has to really make sure that it's telling Gordon stories. Even though it's it's the book's called The Joker, we know what this book is at this point, right? It's 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 a Jim Gordon book about his relationship to the Joker. And so if you're going to do that, if you're going to have a book that is ostensibly a a Jim Gordon title, and you're going to do flashback stuff, which, again, I'm not necessarily advocating that you have to do flashback stuff. But if that is your intention, I think that going back to this time period actually makes a ton of sense. And I think it's actually a pretty smart like place to go for this for this kind of flashback, even if it's really played out stuff. I think that. Frank Avia is also like that's the thing I was gonna say. When was the last time we had a full issue by Frank Avia at DC? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a very long time. So I I am just enjoying the fact that we got Frank Avia here, and that we should be thankful we get one Frank Avia full page a full issue like every ten years or so, um, to just you know soak it up. Yeah. I just think that Gordon family stuff is so played out too. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're saying that final page was a gut punch, but like, I just saw that coming all the way. I don't know. I did not see it coming from the kids. That's, I guess, how I'll differentiate it here. I thought he was going to come home to basically like, uh, you know. Dinner's in the oven. You fucked up from his wife. Mm-hmm. But to see the kids going through that, like that's just, disappointing your kids is like that. That's something that gets me in media all the time. Okay, you know? I guess I've never done that, so I <laughs> can't relate. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You're perfect, and apparently your parents were perfect because they never disappointed you either. Not until I was a full grown man. <laughs> it's a whole other show. Yep, that's uh that's the DC three cast on the couch. Where we uh <laughs> we basically just unload our deepest uh fears and secrets to one another. Uh Patreon content coming October twenty twenty two. Um yeah, That's right. So we also get in this the um the punchline backup and uh, I want Zach to talk about the punchline backup here. I don't like the punchline backup. I'm I've like mainlined this whole thing today and man, I don't care for the punchline backup at all. I think it's really boring. If it didn't have uh uh Harper in it, I would not care at all. I mean that's the correct answer if it didn't have Harper in it. Um was it I found this installment a little bit 
better than prior ones, partly because we got um, uh, Sweeney Boo art, which I thought it's always nice to see Sweeney Boo do some stuff at DC. Um, and I feel like this is also the first time that we've seen Cullen be anything close to a three-dimensional character in this backup. So I appreciated it for that reason as well. But I, I'm not necessarily feeling this this backup either. Vince, what did you think of the backup? I same. I don't I don't even know what's really going on because I I didn't mainline this all at once like Zach did, but like reading it month to month or whatever, I I cannot remember what the story is. I don't know what's going on. I I have trouble even too, especially like the punchline in prison stuff. Uh huh. I find myself losing the thread on that. Yeah, I don't know what. I mean, it's 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 partially my failing because if I wanted, I could go and like read it and take notes and and figure out what's happening. But that that just shows you how little it's gripping me. That I can't even be arsed to like figure out what what the motivations are here right i mean it's 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 fine my 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 overall thought on this is that if this is like one of the things that we've talked about a little bit in in the infinite frontier era is how there are all these different delivery systems for bat family members to get their their like time in the spotlight we had that signal one shot. We have urban legends. We have uh, the backup here, right? So, so to, I, if this is just our delivery system for getting the rose once a month, for now I'm fine with that. I hope that eventually it doesn't have to be through the lens of punchline, or that they give Harper a reason to be so invested in the punchline story. Because right now it just seems like it's. You know, Gordon is to the Joker is you know, Harper is not to punchline as Gordon is to the Joker. I think I think she has a little bit of reason with like Harper. I mean, with Cullen, a little bit, but to me that that's not enough to really justify this uh, this backup yet. No, well, and that's yeah. I think as far as backups go, they they have been pretty mixed. Um, in terms of like either quality or necessity. And I think the necessity of this one is maybe higher than some of the others, but I think the quality is pretty, pretty mixed. Pretty I, that's a good way mid to, put it. to mid to low, which is a shame because I think like Sam Johns did that really great. Um, Alan Scott story mm-hmm. yeah in, um, um in the, wasn't that in the green lantern uh yes i believe so and then um um and sweeney boo's art like I, I really like sweeney boo's art it's very like it's very like boom studios boom box imprint mm-hmm. which is like not a i don't mean that pejoratively or to say that it's less than anything else i think i think Man, I would love to see more of that sprinkled throughout DC as like a regular aspect of their of their visuals. But um, and you a know, backup predict- is a perfect place for that. Perfect place for it, and this subject matter is perfectly fitting for it. Like the art is a pretty good fit. 
the story just happens to be boring and it does it doesn't give the art a lot to do and also um yeah just isn't holding my interest for whatever reason all right well that brings us to the end of this week of comics vince do you have ready for us what's coming out next week i do um so blue and gold number one comes out catwoman 33 justice league 65 nightwing 82 shazam uh, number one, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number two, Superman and the Authority, number one, uh, and The Flash, 772. Should I tell our listeners what we are actually covering? Sure. All right. We are going to cover Blue and Gold, uh, Shazam, Superman and the Authority, and The Flash. Just four issues next week. There's a fair amount of meat on that bone, though. Oh, yeah. So we'll have a lot to say. Um, if you need to get in touch with, with us, uh, two thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian needs an app and I am at Wilker Fox. And if you need to get in touch with Vince, he is currently, uh, oh, man, I had one before and then I've forgotten it now. Let's just Go say, Bucks. I was, was, was going to say uh, Vince is watching the NBA finals. Um, I feel like every time that one of Vince's local team starts to do well, I find out that he cares about that sport. You know, I think of you as the football boy, but well, I am the football boy. But I, the, all the Wisconsin teams are my teams. So okay, yeah. I'm anyway, boy. you are a Wisconsin boy. Thank you for listening, everybody. Well, we'll be back next week, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. I almost, uh, when you said you were a monster today, I almost texted back, everyone knows you're a motherfucking monster. <laughs> uh.